0: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania
1: Wharton School, this is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham.
2: Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider. We are in Business Radio and we are powered by the Wharton School. Sirius XM channel 132 hey if it's Thursday noon eastern you can call us right now at 844 Wharton 844 942 why not get in the queue we'd love to hear from you Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA program for executives right here in sunny Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter. Dream team is in the house, Dion and Michelle, and they're taking your calls right this second. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Hey, Thursday noon Eastern, we are live and we want to hear from you. We have a very cool topic today. Today we're talking all about the disruption of the industry of education with things changing at the speed of light in the marketplace and in the job place. Where does the four-year degree have a place in this market in the future? Well, today we're going to talk about that and a lot of things related to how you can be prepared yourself for this market that is going to be shifting at an enormous rate of speed. So we're going to have Danny Eney on the show today, the founder and CEO of Miracy and bestselling author of nine published books, including Teach and Grow Rich, The Audience Revolution, and Engagement from Scratch. He's the host of Business Reimagined, a podcast, and his research has culminated in his latest book, Leveraged Learning, How the Disruption of Education Helps Lifelong Learners and Experts with Something to Teach. And this aims to sow the seed of education's transformation in the coming years. Welcome to Career Talk, Danny.
0: Don, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm
2: so excited to talk about this topic because I think one, it's so relevant in 2019, um, especially as the job market shifts into a a job seekers market. Um, But two, I think this is this is we're on a train that is not going to stop moving forward. So I'm so excited to have you here. I know you've done a lot of research on this topic that you're going to share with us today. And so, so I have two goals. I want to understand what's happening in this market, and then secondly, what what we can do to prepare ourselves for a job place of the future. So let's get started with what do you mean by education transformation?
0: Sure. So very fundamentally for the last um, several decades and frankly several centuries, higher education, the college degree, has served as the signal that tells employers, look, the bearer of this degree is someone who is smart, capable, resourceful, well-to-do, they're bringing a lot of things that are going to be valuable to the workplace above and beyond the technical information that they may or may not have gleaned as part of their education. And that signal is being disrupted for a lot of reasons. Um, For one, even if it were great, it's become ubiquitous. Forty percent of Americans carry higher education degrees, and that means that when you're applying for a job, it doesn't set you apart anymore, right? It's not a differentiator if every other other applicant has one. But more importantly, the needs of the marketplace and what is being provided by higher education is increasingly out of touch. The subject matter that you learn is less and less relevant to the workplace just because the pace of change is happening faster and faster. Um, Larry Summers, the former dean of Harvard, is on record saying that everything you learn, you know, it's going to be obsolete within five or ten years. And, you know, we're talking about a four-year at least program. So by the time you graduate, a good chunk of it is already already irrelevant.
2: So let, I want to so, dig into that, Danny, because it can't be everything. Like there's there's certain things like history that's that's not going to be obsolete. So so when um, when you say everything, are, are we talking about specific degrees? Are we talking about technology, business? Let's let's dig into this because I, I really want listeners to understand what their options are and and what they need to be thinking about.
0: Yeah, that's a fair point. And it's a really important distinction. So we can divide all of higher education into two groups. There's vocational education and there's non-vocational education. So vocational education is I will teach you how to do something very specific that you need in order to do a particular job. And that can be as simple as something like a coding boot boot camp, which colleges are starting to offer, or it can be as elaborate as medical school. And in a vocational training, you have to learn how to do very specific things. That's the kind of stuff that is being very rapidly disrupted. On the other side of the aisle, so to speak, you have non-vocational training, all the stuff that you can learn that is not directly opening the door to a degree. So um, most undergraduate degrees fall into this category, right? If you're talking about history or um, the humanities, even business, if you're not looking to, you know, study something very focused like accounting or finance, it's something that does not directly qualify you to do any particular job. Like all the degrees that Would check the box requires an undergraduate degree, but doesn't matter which one. And that stuff isn't becoming obsolete, but that stuff is serving a very different, um, creating a very different challenge. You see, because of that rapid rate of change, we've heard so much hype about how you know the hottest jobs today didn't exist fifteen years ago, and we're training people to solve problems that don't exist yet, using tools that weren't invented yet, yada yada yada. So how do you teach people to do that? Well. You need them to be resourceful and and be able to think on their feet and creative and innovative. And a lot of that comes down to being self-directed. But a college curriculum of I'm going to spend four years studying these topics prescribed by the the program of choice essentially teaches me to follow instructions. It's yet another four years after another 12 years of K-12 in which you're following instructions. And that's also increasingly out of step with the needs of the modern workforce.
2: Okay, there's so much I want to dig into in that statement. But first, I want to give out the number because I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who are, are thinking, what does this mean for me? How am I going to navigate my career for the next 20 years? So if you've got a question, a tip, or maybe you're experiencing this shift right now or have a, a upcoming college student, and you're wondering, is college the best path? We want to hear from you today on Career Talk, 844 Wharton 844 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we're here with Danny Eney, who is the author of his latest book, Leveraged Learning How the Disruption of Education Helps Lifelong Learners and Experts with Something to Teach. So if you've got a question or a comment, 844 942 7866. If it's Thursday noon Eastern, we are live and taking your calls. So there's two things you said in there, Danny, that I, I want to tease apart. One is I love this idea of self-directed because that always blows my mind that when somebody says I want to be an entrepreneur, so I'm going to go to school to learn how to be an entrepreneur. Now, I get that there are certain things you want to learn how to do, like write a business plan and and things of that nature. But it's like it, it's such an unstructured type of of profession that it seems to me that it's the complete opposite of being an entrepreneur to go to a four-year degree. So can you talk more about this idea of being self-directed versus needing this path?
0: Yeah, and and I completely agree um, about the entrepreneurship uh, piece, especially. I think the relationship between entrepreneurship classes and entrepreneurship is like the relationship between music appreciation classes and actual music. Like, there's a value, and it's interesting, but it doesn't prepare you to actually do it. Um, The core challenge is that we live in a world that is changing faster and faster. And someone for a world that you don't even know what it's going to look like that's the real challenge. And there's a a thought exercise. I I borrow this from John Rawls with like edits. This is his veil of ignorance idea. But imagine that you're about to embark on the most important, most sensitive, most high profile project of your life. It's like the biggest thing you've ever done. And you have to go and build your team now who's going to help you, except you don't know anything specific about the project. That's kind of what employers and kind of what educators have to figure out how to do so what would you do in that situation i'll tell you what i would do i would want the people i know who are the smartest most resourceful most quick on their feet who take initiative who are completely reliable who play well with others i want the people that i can't say i'm going to need an electrical engineer and a website developer and a fireman i can't say i know i'm going to need these specific skills because i don't know what the skills are so I need the people that I trust to figure things out. And that's not what college prepares us to do.
2: So how do you learn this? Because I love this quote. You started, you, you kind of alluded to this. We are currently preparing students for jobs that don't yet exist using technologies that haven't been invented in order to solve problems we don't even know are problems yet. That that statement just blows my mind because I think that is absolutely spot on. And how do you teach somebody to do these things, to be a problem solver, to be collaborative, to be someone who can think critically? Because you're absolutely right. Companies are screaming for these types of skills because they can't find them.
0: Uh, it's a, I love this question, and this takes a total reimagination of what education is because conventional education is very other-directed, right? There's a curriculum, there's a path, you follow it. So it needs to be much more self-directed, much more project-based, and it's something that you can very easily prescribe to individuals. You can say, hey, look, figure out what it is that you're interested in doing and do the research and figure out what is it going to take in order to get there and find the resources and loop in the appropriate people. And, you know, it's essentially problem and project-based learning. But there isn't a program. There isn't a place where I can say, yeah, for the millions of people who want to learn how to do this, just go and enroll there and you'll be fine. That just doesn't exist, which is... I guess is part of the definition. Self directed means you've got to do it on your own.
2: But how do we get universities or colleges to change? I mean, you're talking about institutions that have had traditions for, you know, hundreds of years in some cases and you know, and the shift is happening so much more quickly than I think the rate of change usually happens in academic settings. So so what's the answer?
0: I'm I'm very pessimistic about the potential for change and growth within higher education today. Um, Clayton Christensen has said recently that he expects 50% of universities to be bankrupt in the next 5 or 10 years. I don't know if I'm quite that aggressive, but I'm close. I think you're right. These are institutions that have a ton of history, a ton of inertia, and it's hard for them to just change course because they're tied to everything – that made them great up until today, right? They have the grounds, they have the campuses, they have the legacy, they have you know tenure, which constrains what people are able to teach and who you're able to let go of, and accreditation, which is great and a signal of value, but also ties your hands around what you can do that's new and different. So the list goes on and on. And I don't think this is fixable within higher education with a couple of exceptions. So it's important also to distinguish that There are kind of two categories of higher education in the United States. There are many thousands of colleges and universities, and of those, only about 200 are what you can call selective, meaning that they accept less than 50% of the people who apply. And so the 90-plus percent of colleges that are not selective, they're going to be in for a lot of trouble. The couple hundred colleges that are selective, they have a lot more to work with. Right. if you look at the five richest colleges, you're looking at Harvard and Yale and Stanford and a couple of others, their endowment in aggregate is about $135 billion. So they can afford to do interesting things and take risks. And even if it's going to be rough in the short term as they look at how do they navigate these transitions, they can figure it out. So it's not that some colleges can't figure this out, but colleges as a whole, higher education as an institution, I don't think it's fixable.
2: Wow, that is that is quite the statement. It's not that's a little bit scary. Hey, eight four four Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. If you have a question on the future of education, or you've got a student perhaps who is is debating where to take their next step for academics, should they go to a four year college, vocational school, take a year off, do an apprenticeship? you are listening on the right day. We have Danny Eney who is talking about the future of education and how things are getting disrupted, which is in his book, Leverage Learning, How the Disruption of Education Helps Lifelong Learners and Experts with Something to Teach. We want to hear from you, 844 Wharton 844 844-942-7866. If it's Thursday noon Eastern, we are taking our calls live right now, 844-942-7866. So Danny, how how do two-year colleges fit into the So so community colleges.
0: Um, It's a great question. So they're structured a little bit differently. The the cost structure is obviously very different. So I actually think they're going to do a lot better. They're not pretending that they're going to catapult you into a lifetime of success. They're saying, I'm going to give you a baseline that you can then build on. You can step into a career that you have a basic set of skills that you can do all kinds of things with. I'm actually a lot more bullish on those. What I'm what I'm more pessimistic about is the, again, majority of colleges out there that are not Harvard and they're not Penn State. They're not the Wharton School. They're not Columbia. But they cost what Harvard costs. And that math just doesn't make sense.
2: Yeah. You talk about in your book, what is the math on on the inflation in tuition?
0: Um, it's been growing more than double the rate of inflation for something like 30 years, which wow. is like a compounded number that becomes absolutely insane. And, you know, a lot, a lot of these things, it's, it's always interesting to me because part of the challenge in getting your head around these ideas is that we live in a world and a society that has valued education for many good reasons so highly that this idea that it's in trouble sounds just so out of left field but it's not actually, and the conclusions are not that extreme, right? How many investments in a lifetime would anyone make to the tune of many years and tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars without a sense of how it's going to pan out for them, other than I'm sure it'll be good. So, you know, I'll just do it and hope for the best, which is basically what people do going into college. That's the insanity, right? I'm not saying that, all college, all university is bad. Not at all. I'm saying that the idea of going to college without a clear sense of what you expect it to do for you, that's the insanity. 844 942
2: 7866. You're lesson- listening to Career Talk. We are here with Danny Eaney. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are going to go to Roger in Canada. Roger, welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today?
1: Yeah, thanks very much, Don. And, uh, I just uh, was wondering if uh, any part of your discussion has been given to the ideas that Jordan Peterson is uh, making public right now in regard to academia being broken because they've gone into teaching social constructs and and political ideology rather than uh, giving people the tools and and, uh, resources mentally to go and, and learn on their own and compete in the workplace.
2: Danny, uh, Roger,
1: I love your
0: question. Um, it's an interesting question. So, on a on a like, if we zoom out to thirty thousand feet, um, it used to be that you go to college, you know, and there were much fewer of them, and they were much higher profile. So, you go to college, and you spend four years, you know, as the colleges like to say, learning how to think because there was just a lot less pressure to deliver any particular skill because just the fact that you went to college would set you up for success. Because there's a lot more pressure, and and you see this mirrored not just on the college level, but you see it with K-12 as well. There's a lot more like test-oriented curriculum and all that kind of stuff. It's like, well, we have to check a whole bunch of boxes. And the trade-off for that has been the opportunity for people to think and explore and learn to develop their own opinions rather than parroting other people. So I, I'm inclined to agree, but I think there's some nuance in terms of what's going
1: on that led to it.
2: Roger, what, what is the situation like in Canada? Are there any differences that, you, that you're aware of? Uh,
1: what I'm aware of, and, I, and I, I opted not to take the college or university route for a variety of reasons, uh, most of them because uh, I didn't find myself to be a very valuable school student, and uh, and I I didn't want to burden a system or myself with something that I knew was going to be of no use to me. So, but what's happening in Canada is that that, uh, for instance, uh, a a lawyer took over to uh, be uh, in the, the provost of a university that was uh, bent towards Indigenous people, and as soon as uh, everybody noticed that he was not Indigenous, he was kicked out because he was. Uh, capitalizing on on indigenous people. It was just a ridiculous argument. Or there's the Wilford Laurier situation where uh, a person, uh, a TA was teaching, and they um, showed uh, Hitler and uh, another person, actually Jordan Peterson, in the same mind, in the same uh, few minutes of their class, and that person was brought in for an inquisition. They taped the inquisition, and found out that the people, the professors that were uh, upset with her, were actually in the wrong, and now she's suing Wilfred Laurier for millions of dollars. And and um, and there's and then there's the uh, the school in uh, Trinity Western, which wanted to produce uh, lawyers, and they were told that they can't have law degree granting privileges because they're a Christian school, and they ask people to say that they're not going to fiddle around with other people unless they're married to them during their school tenure. And so they weren't allowed to do that. So these these things are, are pushing aside the ability of uh, people to go and get what a university should offer, which is a resource and a, and a proving ground for open debate rather than a, a closed-minded, we're going to teach you the, the horrors of um, of being successful in this in this world.
2: So, Roger, I think you bring up a good point. Um, in in terms of the the how has education changed? What was it originally designed for, and what is it designed for now? And I think, Danny, that's one of the things you've been talking about is that when you know when education and the, the university systems and colleges first came about, we didn't have the internet and and Google and MOOCs and and ways to get information. Um, you know, and, and it was just a very different place. But now we have access to all of those things. So we have this this line of bureaucracy from the accreditation boards through the the. Um, the the magazines and and polls that rate universities based on placement and with all of these things in place i think it makes it very difficult to change the system and i think danny that's kind of what you're you're pointing out in terms of the future of the the colleges and universities
0: it, it is there there's a lot there i mean I, I can speak a little bit to what things are like and i'm actually canadian so um I, I can speak to that a little bit um you know there are the um, trends towards um, challenges of safetyism and that kind of stuff that um, Jonathan Haidt and uh, Greg Lukianoff, and I've probably mispronounced both of their names, but they wrote a book called The Coddling of the American Mind, which is excellent. Um, so that, that's going on in the U.S., that's going on in Canada and elsewhere as well. Um, I think the biggest difference, but also the line of, of similarity, is um, college is very expensive in the United States. And that's not the case in Canada, right? It's mostly paid for by the government. Um, And I do get a lot of questions of, you know, is it different in Canada because it's not putting people into massive amounts of debt? And the answer is it's not as bad, right? It's a lot better than it is in the U.S. But fundamentally, the transaction is about two things, right? I say I'm going to spend a certain amount of time, a certain amount of money going to college. And the question is, You know, is it a good deal? So that depends on two things. It depends on what am I getting, and it depends on what is it costing me. So it's costing a lot less money in Canada, but a huge part of the cost is the opportunity cost. It's what else could I be doing with those four, five, six, seven, however many years. It takes the average American seven years to complete a four-year program. So four-year program is a bit of a misnomer. Um, And so because the cost is inflated in the U.S. versus other places where it's much cheaper, we're seeing a lot of this disruption happen a lot faster in the U.S., but Mm -hmm. the opportunity cost is the same everywhere.
2: Yep. Roger, thank you so much for your call and for listening to Career Talk. Hey, you're listening to SiriusXM Channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here with Danny Enu who is the founder and CEO of Miracy, and we're talking all about the disruption of education. If it's Thursday, noon Eastern, and we are live at 844 Wharton, eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Hey, Danny, there's something else I had um you had said earlier that I wanted to dig into, which is this idea of vocational uh, training and and that becoming obsolete. So I want to make sure I understand that because a lot of people do choose to go a vocational route versus a four-year college because that's a better match for for what their interests and skills are. So tell me more about what you mean by that.
0: Sure. And I'm not saying that vocational training as a whole or as a category is becoming obsolete. I'm saying that Things are changing quickly. And what we're seeing, um, one of the major trends we're seeing in the consumption of education in general in the world, is a shift from consuming a lot of information at the start of your career, kind of just in case you'll need it, to actually a lot more, but over the course of your career in little bite sized chunks, just in time when you need it. So it's not that vocational training is going away. But the idea of spending a whole bunch of years studying a bunch of stuff that is largely going to be obsolete by the time you hit the workforce anyway, that's going away. The idea that you're going to spend a lot less, kind of what's the minimum viable amount of training to allow you to hit the ground running, recognizing that you're going to have to invest your time and energy and probably money, either you or your employer, in your education on an ongoing basis throughout your career.
2: And I would think that's 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 kind of the message I took from your book is that this is this is kind of the way of the world now. There is no more end to your education. You are going to be a lifelong learner, or you're going to find yourself SOL. Am, am, am I reading that right? I think so. Yeah, I, I mean, because I do believe that now. I mean, it just, for example, technology was not a part of so many jobs. Even just a decade ago, and now it's pretty much part of every job. So if you're not keeping up with that, you're going to be left behind. And and with hybrid jobs and and jobs being replaced by automation and new jobs that that didn't even exist, that employers can't find people to do because no one's ever done them. I mean, I, I think that if we want to maximize our opportunities, this idea of lifelong learning, and it doesn't have to be in an institution, and it doesn't have to be in a four year program, um, as you point out in your book, there's a lot of other ways. Ways to do this through apprenticeships self-created internships learning through free online classes there's so many ways to stay up to date with what's going on that I think this is going to become something that we all need to incorporate into our, our day-to-day career needs hey 844 Wharton 844 942-7866 if it's Thursday noon eastern we are live taking our calls all hour long on Career Talk, we are here with Danny Eney, who is the founder and CEO of Miracy. And we're talking about his new book, Leveraged Learning, How the Disruption of Education Helps Lifelong Learners and Experts with Something to Teach. So, hey, if you have been experiencing some of this disruption around education or maybe you have a student or you are a student considering what you want to invest your time and money in that's going to land you the job that you want we want to hear from you at 844 wharton 844-942-7866 but hey have you heard about our career talk music For the month of January, Career Talk wants to help you make your music career dream a success. So all month long, we'll be playing clips of songs from new bands in our segment intros. And we'll be talking about your group's name and social media handles so that you can consider to be potentially played on a national radio show. And we are doing this all month long. So if you're interested in getting your band played on, Career Talk, you can send your MP3 to career talk Music at gmail.com. And please remember, Career Talk is a PG-13 show, so please keep your entries PG-13. If you want more information, you can check out my Twitter feed at Dr. Don Graham. And when we come back from the break, we are going to be playing Rayana Estrada, who has a very catchy country song called Jump Off the Train. But before we do that, we are going to go... Our pre break quiz. Quiz.
1: There's a quiz.
2: In a controlled study, within three months of starting a job search, five times as many job seekers who did this landed jobs. Five times as many job seekers who did this. Landed a job. If you think you know, 844 Wharton, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Sirius XM Channel 132. We are Career Talk, and we will be right back.
1: You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Graham.
3: far
2: Welcome back to Career Talk, your career insider. We are on Business Radio and we are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius 6M channel 132. And bringing us back from the break was Rayana Estrada with a fantastic country song called Jump Off the Train. You can't get that one out of your head. That is going to be catchy and you're going to be listening that tune inside your brain all day. And if you want to download it or learn more about Rayana, you can find her on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and her website at rayanaestrada.com. And let me spell that for you. R-A-I-H-A-N-N-A. E S T R A D A, Rihannaestrada.com. And I will also be posting a link to this on my Twitter feed at Dr Don Graham. So if you want to hear more from Rihanna, go ahead and follow me or check out her Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, RihannaEstrada.com. Thank you so much for sending that to Career Talk Music. And if you'd like to be considered, you just need to send your MP3 play to Career Talk Music at Gmail. Just as easy as that. And just in case you missed our pre-break quiz before the break, here it is. In a controlled study within three months of starting a job, search... Five times as many job seekers who did this landed the job. We will get to that in just a moment. But right now, back to Danny Eney, who is our guest on Career Talk today. He's the founder and CEO of Miracy and the author of his latest book, Leveraged Learning, How the Disruption of Education Helps Lifelong Learners and Experts with Something to Teach. Hey, Danny, if people want more information about you, where can they find it?
0: Uh, Well, of course, they can buy the book and I hope lots of people buy lots of copies but uh, they can just go to leveragedlearningbook.com and the whole book is up there online for free.
2: Fantastic. So, so in the first half of the show we were talking all about what's happening in the the systemic world of, of education and I think on the second half what I want to do is I want to talk about what people can do to kind of bulletproof themselves and make sure they're prepared for the world that that is emerging and the careers that are emerging. So so first off, how can someone decide if college is even for them?
0: Um, it's a great question. Here's here's what I would say if I'm talking to someone who says you know, exactly that. You know, I'm 17, 18. I'm thinking about college. Should I go? Should I not go? I would say start by getting clear on what you're hoping to get out of it. Right? Fundamentally, I don't believe in college as a way of becoming generally well-rounded because you know you can read 30 books and that will do the same thing i don't think it's a good way of whether um, or, or a worthwhile like cost-effective way of you know building a network there are other ways of doing those things and again if you're you know going to go to harvard or yale or the Wharton school like that's different but that's not you know basically the whole country <laughs> um so the question is what do you hope it will do for you like think about well, what is the career path that you're interested in pursuing? And if you don't know, find out. Right. Make a list. Read books about fields of interest. Interview um, people who are working in the field, you know, do do information interviews to say, I want to learn what it's like to work in your field. What is what does the job look like? What's a day in the life? Um, have a, a conversation to get really clear about what's the experience going to be like? You know, the, the, I hear all the time from people who went to medical school and after like seven years they are like, actually it turns out I hate being a doctor. And it's like that really would have been good to figure out seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. So do some job shadowing. Uh, and this is not a hard thing to do. If you make a list, just you know, do some searching on LinkedIn. Say so here are 20 companies that are in the field I'm thinking about and find an executive in each one of them and say, you know, I'd like to um, work for you for free. I want to be your assistant. I want to help you out. Whatever you need. For three months or six months, all I want from you is 30 or 45 minutes per month to sit down and ask you questions about how the business is running based on my observations. If you send 20 of those emails, you're going to get one or two or many people to say, yeah, sure. And you'll have an inside look much, much faster. So first, be really clear about just where do you want this to take you? Yeah,
2: and I want to yeah, dig sorry, into ahead. that a little bit more Danny, but I'm just going to give out the phone number really quickly. 844 Wharton, 844 844-942-7866. This is such an informative show. I want to you talk about finding an apprenticeship or doing free work and and I know a lot of people say, "Well, how do I even do that?" And this is kind of the point you were making earlier in the show is that is that yeah, there there there's not a structure for doing that, but you learning how to do that is actually the education part, right? <laughs> well,
0: it's a, it's a huge part of it. And that's a big part of why it's attractive like because, you know, as I mean, I'm an executive, I have a company and I have a lot of people who work for me and someone who has the initiative to say, I want to try to do this. Like, even if I don't have a role, I might say, yeah, let's bring you on board for three or six months because that's probably someone I want to be knowing and they're going places and I want them to, to be involved in what I'm doing in the future. That's mm. a big part of it. But I'm not even saying, and that's the interesting thing, often doing this you can like bypass the college degree altogether because you do that like three or six month internship. And they're like, wow, you know, you have so much initiative and you've learned so much. Why don't you just come and work for us? So it turns out you didn't need that whole degree program to get in there. But let's say that doesn't happen, right? Which is, that's not the point. That's just a possible nice side effect. Now you know that this is what you want. You know what you want to pursue and you want to ask yourself, what is the shortest path from where I am? to getting that job, right, to getting into that career. And it's an important question to ask, because if you say, okay, so college is four to seven years and tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, you're essentially saying, you know, there's one person or a handful of people who can make the decision to say, yes, I would give you this opportunity. And you're basically saying, I want to spend four to seven years and tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to impress this one person. Is there a more efficient way to sufficiently impress that person? And sometimes there isn't, right? Like If you want to be a doctor, you're not getting around medical school, and, and that's a good thing. But for a lot of jobs in a lot of fields, you absolutely can. not
2: I think that's such a great point, and you, you, you have a great example in your book that, that at Google, um, about 14% of the, of the employees never attended college, and I think that probably would surprise a lot of people because I, I don't think we often think about it that hard. We think this is kind of the step, this is what everyone else has done, this is what we need to do, and then we'll worry about the job later. But I think when you do dig into it and I love the question you asked, Danny, which is, you know, what am I gonna get out of this? And is this is this the only path? Is there another path? you're going to come up with other options. And sure, you're going to have to do some research and you're going to have to do some legwork, but that in and of itself is a fantastic way to start building your critical thinking, problem-solving skills, and all these other things that companies are so desperate to get nowadays. Hey, 844-WARDEN, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM, and we are here with Danny Eney. We're talking all about the disruption of education and what can you do to make sure that you are viable and marketable in the job world going forward. So, so there's also a lot of companies that are dropping the degree requirement, and, and some of that is being um, you know, brought up because of the, the job market and where we are now and that it's going to swing back. But, but what are your thoughts on that, Danny?
0: Well, I think it's happening. I don't think it's going to swing back. I think it's going to accelerate because companies that are doing this are finding that, hey, we're getting better people we're getting more diversity, we're getting more of the creative divergent thinking that we're looking for. Um, the degree just isn't the signal of value that it used to be. And so I, I think it's happening. I think it's going to happen a lot more.
2: So what are some of the other paths that people should consider if they're, they're thinking either a college degree isn't affordable, or it's just not for me, or, or I'm not even sure this is going to get me on the path I want to be on? So
0: there are two broad um, paths to longevity in the workforce. Um, and they're both really important, but one of them gets a very disproportionate amount of airtime, time, which is unfortunate because it's the one that's really hard for most people to do. So as the world changes and as the world becomes more complex, there will always be jobs for people who are at the cutting edge of the most complicated technical field. Right? So like right now, if you're a data scientist, not hard to find a job there are not enough data scientists out there for all the jobs that are looking to be filled and that is one path like you know just develop really complicated in-demand technical skills that nobody else has but that's not a realistic path for most people right because most people are not cut out to be data scientists And that's not a function of, of, you know, capability or intelligence. It's just that's a very particular kind of intelligence. I'm, I'm a smart guy. I would not make a good data scientist, and that's totally fine, right? So the other path that gets far too little attention is this general resourcefulness, this general, you know, being someone who can figure things out, who takes the initiative to figure things out. There are never enough people like that in organizations. And it's not that you don't also need some skills for whatever the way is, but those things are learnable. And that's why I'm such an advocate of you know, do the research and get the apprenticeships and do the internships and all those kinds of things. Because what you're developing in the background is that resourcefulness, that figure out ability, which is more important than any individual bit of experience you're going to get. Mm -hmm. Right. The, The world is full of problems. The world is full of gaps. It's not that hard to look and say, okay, where is there someone who has a problem that I can find a way of solving through a little bit of resourcefulness and a little bit of elbow grease in a way that might make them want to hire me, if you just think about it that way?
2: But isn't there a lot of societal pressure to 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 go to college because that's just kind of the thing to do? I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like, like the rest of societal pressure. Like you're supposed to do these these fixated things, like get married, have kids, have a house with a picket fence and dog. And I know a lot of that's being disrupted. Um, and, and do you see that kind of lumping in with that, Danny?
0: Um, I, I do see it lumping in with that. I also see it informed by a different context. Right. A lot of people who are thinking about going to college today are facing a lot of pressure from their parents who went to school 30 years ago right, to go to college, but their parents' perspective is informed by what the world and colleges looked like 30 years ago. So it takes some time, for, some time for things to catch up. Will it be an uncomfortable and potentially unpopular decision not to go to college? Yeah, it probably will. But that doesn't make it the wrong decision. That just means it's, it's potentially an unpopular decision for a little bit. And because it's such a long process, remember, we're talking about four to seven years. The question isn't just what's the sentiment in the climate now. It's what will it be in five or 10 years. Right. And do you want to spend them like, you know, there's the joke that we spend most like the first 18 years of our lives getting into college and the next 18 years of our lives paying it off. Like, is that really what people want to do?
2: I would say no eight four four Wharton 7866 Hey, if you're listening and you're an organization who has dropped the college requirement for hiring, we want to hear from you on Career Talk Sirius XM channel one thirty two. What can you do, Danny? If you know some companies just they didn't really think about it. They just slap this this you know you need a four year degree or applicant tracking systems going to kick you out. Is there any ways to get around that?
0: Um, So there's a bunch of ways to get around that. Um, First of all, a lot, and, and, you know, I'm sure someone who works at an application tracking software company is going to call and say, well, no, ours is better. But these softwares on the whole are not all that sophisticated. A lot of them can't tell the difference, for example, on a resume between um, a line that says graduated from Acme University and pursuing a degree at Acme University. So all you need to do is, you know, fill in the application forms and be accepted, and that's kind of good enough if you really wanna like play the technicality. But when you look at job postings in general, there is a kind of a request creep that happens where they get longer and longer and there's more and more bullets. And if you really read them, it's like, come on, nobody who's gonna do this job is really gonna check all of these boxes. It's just that the systems, if there is an automated, an automated system, They're designed to screen for some and just see the others as nice to have. So, first of all, a lot of companies don't use application tracking systems. Like, a lot of companies just don't do that. They're very, very prevalent in big companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 98%. represents the majority of the economy.
2: 98% of the Fortune 500, but, yeah, there's a lot of other companies.
0: Yeah, the majority of jobs are not at the Fortune 500, and some of those companies don't as well. But you can also just bypass that whole process. And that's where that resourcefulness and ingenuity comes in. It doesn't take that that much work to do a little bit of research and say, well, here are five job postings I'm interested in. So who are people in the organization that might be the decision makers about this?
2: Networking. And,
0: Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, networking or just being creative, like, you know, create a package with your resume and, you know, something lumpy and put it in a FedEx envelope and send it to that person. And bypass the whole process. They won't all like it. You don't need them all to like it.
2: You. you need one of them to. Hmm. Yeah. It's just going back to this this theme of being creative and standing out and finding ways around the step by step process to get to where you want to be. And I will say, as a hiring manager, I respect that. I I've passed over people who've who've applied to the system only to have somebody put their resume on my desk with a glowing endorsement, and I'm like, all right, bring them in. Like you know, now we're talking about networking. I'm impressed. Hey, eight four four Wharton. Hey, 8- Four four nine four two seven eight six six. You're listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM. We're going to go to Aaron in California. Welcome to the show, Aaron. What's on your mind?
3: Hey, great conversation uh, so far. You know, I've got an interesting perspective. I graduated college two hundred sixty thousand dollars in debt. So whoa, the, uh, did you
2: pay twice? Talk about what happened there? Uh,
3: the talk about oppor- opportunity <laughs> cost and you know, really being an indentured servant to you know quote unquote the man and how long that takes to pay off you know i've got so to finally pay that off i I shifted careers and went the entrepreneurial route so we've got 72 employees now here in santa cruz i couldn't even tell you what percentage of them have college degrees it's literally not on our radar whatsoever and some of these are very specialized roles we put a lot more value in experience and fire in the belly um, and, uh, you know, kind of a get it done type of attitude than we do what school they went to or didn't go to.
2: Yeah, I love that. Hunger. Hunger is so important to get hired. Um, So, Aaron, how do you how do you hire? What is your process for both sourcing candidates and making your decision?
3: Yeah, we uh, use top grader. Uh, which I'm sure you've heard of before. And we basically have a very robust email list uh, because we've we've developed a direct-to-consumer business, online business. So we'll send a blast out to our list. We'll use all the job posting sites. Uh, We'll run them through TopGrader, which is a great resource to kind of weed out people that don't have uh, the fire in the belly or kind of job hopping and don't have a strong commitment to our work ethic. And then from there, we'll do um, multiple phone interviews. We'll try to uh, bring it down to three or four candidates for in-person uh, panel interview.
2: And when you say a four-person panel interview, do you mean you have four people in your company interview one person? Or Correct. The flip- yeah. so
3: typically, it's myself, my business partner, and then whoever they'd be reporting to, and, and, and maybe one other person in the department.
2: Yeah, so, so what I like about that is the investment. I know there's big companies like Amazon who have like eight senior leaders do these interviews. And it's, it's obviously about fit, but it's also about trying to reduce the bias and make sure that the candidate has exposure to a lot of different people in the organization. Because like you said, you keep talking about fire in the belly. And I do think that is so critical, the motivation for why you want to be somewhere is is going to be one of the key factors in getting hired so I love that Danny do you want to do you want to weigh in here
0: oh I, I love everything Aaron said we do something very similarly at my organization we actually as a policy do not ever look at resumes um, I've had on multiple occasions like you know someone that's working for me for two years before I found out oh this person has a PhD I never would have known so that's uh, I'm on board with that 100%. Um, a hundred percent a tweak to that that um, could be interesting for Um, like hiring managers who are listening to this is there are two kinds of information that you can gather through a hiring process, whether it's, you know, an an interview, whether it's a resume, whether it's answers to questions, whatever it is, there is narrative information and there's non-narrative information. Um, And they're both important, but they serve different purposes. The non-narrative information. So we'll we'll do a lot of simulation type exercise. Like here's an example of a thing you're going to have to do. Show us how you do it. Like that kind of stuff. Um, along with different assessments. Those things give you a picture of the person before having a sense of their energy and their personality. Because the challenge is that our brains as human beings were designed to interpret how will we get along with someone. So as soon as we get even a snippet of narrative information, we start creating a picture in our head, and we make judgments that are often not true. So we try to break our hiring process into two phases. First, we look at all the non-narrative information. I basically want to see that, like, you know, on paper, not in terms of their background or degree or stuff like that, but on paper in terms of um, actual work product that we see that they can produce. Do I believe this person can do the job? And then we want to layer on all the narrative stuff to get a sense of, will we like working with this person?
2: Mm-hmm. Hey, Aaron! Thank you for giving us a call on Career Talk and um, and bringing up this important topic. I think I think one of the key takeaways on, from from both of you is that we're we're ch- we need to change the way people are hired, and we need to get rid of the check boxes if we want to make better hires and invest more of our time and our people into to making these selections. Thank you so much for giving us a call, Aaron. Hey, you're listening to Career Talk eight four four Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So we have to answer our pre break quiz. In a controlled study, Dion, within three months of, <laughs> <laughs> just making sure you're ready. Within three months of starting a job search, five times as many job seekers who did this landed a job. Now it is not the obvious like networking. It's it's an unobvious answer, but that's why it's a pre-break quiz.
1: I think I'm going to use an answer from a previous pre-break quiz that I'm pretty sure was the answer. Okay. Where the color of the company is. That you're interviewing with.
2: Oh, yeah, that was an Abby Kohut tip. I remember that. Oh. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's, no, mm-hmm. but it's, it's kind of out there. It's not out there, but I do it. I'll just, that gives you no, no that help gives at me all. nothing. All right. All right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Michelle, what are people doing that makes them uh, get hired five times as much as people are not doing this? I'm going to guess, um, my answer's lame. I'm gonna guess networking. No, no, it's not networking. It's mm. oh, did you already say? I that? I already said that, but I know oh. you're on the phone. Sorry, so. yeah. she wasn't paying attention. She was working. Over, that, <laughs> I know you were working. You actually have have to work. No, it's actually journaling. And oh. I I know you weren't gonna think of this, but but the reason I break this up is because there are so many studies coming out about how journaling is like. Just incredible for pretty much everything. People suffering from depression, anxiety, PTSD. It helps relationships. It helps physical health improve. People get fewer colds. I mean, there's so many aspects of this that I was just like, you know, I have to say this for the new year. You can get a job faster.
1: So it's, so it's like not about the job, just journaling in general about journaling, life. Journaling. Journaling really? about
2: life and kind of getting your upsetting moments on paper and processing and kind of getting all that out. I like It's like purging.
1: I like your movements with that. Yeah, purging,
2: purging. Anyway, so hey, if you journal at least four four times a week, you're going to get all these benefits. Want fewer colds? Journal. Hey 8449427866. We're going to go to Elliot in Missouri. Elliot, we are we are wrapping up in 30 seconds. What what is your comment?
3: So I was just saying I was listening to you guys today and I you know, being a person who did not go to college but sold two of his businesses, it was, I became an entrepreneur because people wouldn't hire me because I didn't have a degree, and, you know, after that, I started, now I'm developing apps, and, you know, it's the same thing again where, hey, you're a founder, but you don't have a degree, but the whole thing goes now, I, my company is focused in on helping people who don't have degrees still get into different markets and fields and things of that nature, it's That's what I've seen. So that's why I like even the apps I developed now is I'm focusing on ones and bring people on that don't have degrees.
2: I love that, Elliot, because you, you created an opportunity. People were saying, no, we're not going to hire you without this checkbox. And you're like, yeah, well, watch this. I'm going to create my own business. And that is exactly the skills that are needed in today's market. So so you are ahead of the curve, Elliot. Thank you for giving us a call on Career Talk. And we've had such a great discussion. Danny, where can people reach you one last time?
0: Um, again, they can find the book Leverage Learning on Um, Amazon or wherever books are sold and encourage them to buy dozens of copies for everyone they know. Or they can just go to LeverageLearningBook.com and the whole thing is available for free as well as my contact information.
2: That's fantastic. Danny need thank you so much for being on Career Talk this week. Of course, Michelle and Dion, I hope you've watched some episodes of The Twilight Zone since I've seen you last. I have a feeling you didn't. Um, and to all of our listeners and callers, we bring Career Talk to you every week because we want you to have a fantastic career in 2019. And hey, Career Talk Music, don't forget Forget, we're gonna close out with Rihanna Estrada and her song jump off the train if you want to be part of this you can email career talk music at gmail.com you've been listening to Sirius XM channel 132 and we will see you next time